Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Good morning, Hills Church. How are you guys? Good? All right, so good. I like this row over here. This sick. No, I'm just kidding. I love you all. It is super good uh, to be back with you guys. If you're visiting or newer around here, I've been here. I probably had the privilege of speaking to you guys. I think this is my uh, fourth time. And every time I have came here, I have been so welcomed by you guys. And the hospitality and the generosity uh, of spirit around here is so beautiful. And I just never want to start talking to you guys without saying thank you. And it's an honor to be here. This is actually uh, an extra special time for me to be here because I got to bring my crazy family with me. And usually I'm traveling alone, but it's the summertime and they're going to be so mad at me because they're a bit on the bashful side. Uh, but I, we've got, we're a family of six. I've got four kids. Uh, I told you first time I was here, I'll say it again. I should have had two, but I have four and I love them all. One of them's over it with Hill's kids right now, the little guy. But uh, would you guys just all stand up real fast? I know I'm going to be in so much trouble for this, but this is my family over here. We got Jude, my oldest son, and we got Jane, my one and only daughter. We got Benjamin. He's my favorite kid of the four. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding other kids, but he is my favorite, but I'm kidding. And then my sweet wife, Rachel, and then little Cruz is wreaking havoc over there in Hills uh, Kids uh, Church. So that's my family. Uh, The reason I also wanted uh, to introduce them is because I I don't just have the privilege of being here this weekend. I also uh, have the privilege of being with you guys for two weekends in a row. Uh, Your pastors are on uh, much needed vacation. It's a good thing when your pastors go on vacation um, and don't amen that for the wrong reasons. Um, no, it's because uh, a rested person is the best self, right? And they work so hard. I know I have a lot of phone calls with Pastor Jonathan and he loves you guys and he loves this place. And so it's a privilege that me and my family get to come in here for a couple weeks, give them some rest and a little bit of a break and fill in. I'm going to jump right in because I'm going to do a, a two week mini series, if you will, on one particular uh, subject. And it, it, it on the surface will when you hear about it will sound like a heavy subject. But my whole goal in the next two weeks is by the time we're done talking about this particular issue from the word of God that it will feel so much lighter than maybe you grew up hearing about this issue. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, we just spent the last five minutes in that last song singing about this issue we're going to talk about over. We sang it over and over and over. I'm going to talk about for the next two weeks, the holiness of God. I'm going to be cheesy for a minute, but I'm going to say this because this is such uh, something that is so fundamentally important to my heart and my life right now is I want to make holiness great again. Like I want to break down everywhere I go misconceptions about this idea of the holiness of God. I want it to be something that by the time we're done in the next few weeks, it's something that we yet again are excited about and that we are hungry and that we are thirsty for. I dare not talk about a subject like this without us praying first. Can we do that? Can we just give this time to the Lord? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Jesus, for your word. The book of Isaiah says it always does something when it goes forth. It always, like rain when it comes from the clouds, always produces something. So does your word. And so, God, I am so excited this morning about the possibilities. I'm so excited about the fact that I believe every single one of us is going to walk out of these doors so much better than we walked in. God, we just ask in these next few minutes through the power of your Holy Spirit and by the grace of Jesus that you would speak to us, that we would, we would in return worship you by how we listen. 
in these next few minutes with humble and with open hearts. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. So I am currently 48 and over one half years old. So I'm, I'm pushing 50 and it's starting to mess with me a bit, but nothing so far in my life has messed with me more than eight and a half years ago when I turned 40. I had the classic quintessential cliched, what we call midlife crisis. This is a bit of a phenomenon in the male species. I'm guessing it's gone on. I haven't done the study, but I'm guessing it's been a part of the human experience, but particularly the male experience for the last probably thousands of years. Now, I got to be honest for a minute. I was a bit cocky going into my 40s because as a pastor uh, at a church and things were going well, and uh, I had a few kids at that point, uh, three kids at that point, and life was good, pretty strong, solid marriage at that point. Hope you agree, babe. Um, was going pretty good. And uh, I'm a praying man at this point going into my 40s. I read the word of God pretty much almost every day. I get to preach the word of God. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm exempt from the midlife crisis. That's for all those crazy heathen men, right? That's not for someone as stable as me. I know who I am in Christ. I won't have a midlife crisis. And then all of a sudden, I found myself just neck deep when I turned 40, jumping into this midlife crisis. And I didn't see it coming. And I will never forget the day it happened and what sparked it. It was this thing right here, a can of deodorant. <laughs> and you're like, uh, what? Tell me more. It was this can of deodorant. I was in a hotel room on a Sunday morning and I was getting ready to preach out of town and I was uh, getting ready for the morning and I'll be a bit graphic here. I apologize. But like many of you in the morning, men, when you're in, in there getting ready, I still have my shirt off. And it, let, let, let's put this kindly. Uh, when I turned 40, I was not even close to my fighting weight. I had, uh, we had had three kids. My wife was pregnant with our fourth and I gained about 10 pounds per kid over the years. I got way more pregnant than my wife ever got. Uh, thanks babe for sticking with me. And uh, so I'm like 30 to 40 pounds over my fighting weight at this point. And I'm just not going into my forties feeling real great about myself. And I remember that morning I was sitting there and I was brushing my teeth. And as I was brushing my teeth, I was just staring at my belly and my belly was in unison with my brush. So as I'm going like this, my belly is just like this the whole time. And I just start to feel this, what, what, what we call body shame just coming over me just feeling shame. And so I was like, what, what can I do? I cannot go and preach the Holy word of God with this little amount of confidence. What do I do? And so I do what I always do when I need confidence. I, I, I texted my wife because my wife is the most encouraging person in my life. Nobody champions me and believes in me more than my wife. Right. And so I'm like, I, she's going to encourage me. So I was being a bit silly too, but I just turned to the side and I took a side gut picture in the mirror and I texted it to my wife and I'm like thinking she's going to know exactly because I had already been arguing and complaining about my weight all the time. She's going to know what I'm doing. She's going to know I'm in my head and she's going to send. So I'm waiting for the, the three dots on the phone where, you know, they're typing back and I'm just like, she's going to say something amazing. And she types back uh, to me and she wrote four words. What do you want? <laughs> I just not only bared my soul, I bared my gut, my gross gut to my wife. And she writes back, what do you, I was expecting her typical, you know, like I thought she'd write back like, well, yeah, but you're my sexy beast or like, you know, too hot to handle, too cold to hold something like that. Like get anything. Hashtag Chad Pitt. Give me anything. Lie to me. I'll take it. Right. She writes, what do you want? And I'm sitting there thinking a new wife is what I want. 
Like I needed this, right? And I did get it. And then to make matters worse, uh, she had bought me some toiletries for my trip and she bought a different deodorant than I had normally wore, which breaks man code, babe. But anyways, it's all right. And I looked at it and this is when the, the, the catalyst for the midlife crisis happened. I looked at my deodorant and it was called Old Spice, right? We've all heard of that. But then the, 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 the title underneath it, the subtitle was Swagger. And I literally stopped and I was like, Lord, this is what it's like to be 40. This is exactly, my deodorant just said exactly how my heart feels. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm my old spice now. I'm, I'm 40 pounds over my fighting weight. I, I get injured just getting out of bed now, not playing sports anymore, just getting out of bed, going to the bathroom, I can get injured. Um, like, but I still got some swagger, right? Like, I can still do some things on, on the basketball court. I just can't walk for the next three days afterwards. And so, like, 40 is just this, it's this very vulnerable age for men because some of the old, younger, youthful things are starting to die. But you're not a sage yet. You haven't lived enough life to walk in like sage, like calm. And there's still this ego, this last part of your ego that's just trying to hang on and trying to continue to, to lead. And it's just, you just, if you don't know what to do, you become this hot mess. And, and the reason I tell you this story about my own life is because in my forties, God started to speak to me about this issue of holiness. Cause I'm a, Preacher and teacher unapologetically of the grace of God. Let me let you in on a little secret. Everywhere I go, every subject that I uh, give when it comes to the word of God, I just preach and teach the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I do it unapologetically. But for so many years in my youth as a preacher, I didn't understand the connection between the grace of God and the holiness of God. Let, let me put it this way. I was always wondering, who's the God we serve? Who's the God I'm going to preach? Do I preach Old Spice God? The Holy God. Or do I preach Swagger God as we see in Jesus Christ, right? Doesn't it seem like when you read the Old Testament, you kind of get the Old Spice God, the God who's, who, who you read the Torah and it's so strict and it's so detailed and it's so stringent and you, you read how God told Israel to live and you just see them completely over and over and over just failing at it. And, and he's so particular and he's so precise in the Torah with how to behave and how to live ethically. And, and, and they just keep screwing it up. And I fully, I don't know about you, but I relate to that. And in their screw ups, you hear the prophets talk and it really sounds like God's just old and grumpy sometimes if we're being honest, right? And the, the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, it says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I grew up, if I'm being honest with you, I grew up just seeing grumpy God. But then every now and then, a preacher would talk about the grace of Christ. And then you think about Christ and the new covenant, and it almost seems like we get swagger God, right? Because Jesus comes on the scene in the book of Colossians, Colossians one tells us that Christ is the exact representation of God. So if you're new to church here, or you're new to this God thing, and you really want to know what this unseen God is like, it's real simple. You just look at Jesus. He is the exact representation of the invisible image of God in human form. So you, eat, you, you just eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus. You just learn Jesus. You just know Jesus. You just, as the writer of Hebrews says, you fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of your faith. And we know when Jesus came, he walked sinless, something I can't even fathom, but he did. 
He walked in complete and perfected holiness, yet at the same time, dispensing endless amounts of mercy and grace, right? He has such a swagger to him, the way he treats the marginalized, the way he treats the oppressed, the way he sticks up for the unknown, the way he sees people that nobody else in society would see, the way he heals people and treats people. And so we, 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 we have this dichotomy, it seems like, between is it, is it Old Spice God and the Old Covenant grumpy God, or is it new happy-go-lucky kumbaya hippie God and, and Jesus? What do we have here? Is he Old Spice or is he Swagger? And the answer to that is just yes. He is both, but here's the deal. Grace, you have to understand this. If you're going to understand the beauty of holiness, grace is not God's plan B because this holy, this holiness experiment between humans and him didn't work out too well. Grace wasn't something God finally instituted in Jesus Christ because he was so fatigued by our endless failures and mistakes, by our endless ability to jump through the Torah hoops properly. He didn't come in and say, we got to start over. We got to try something new. So why don't you go down there, die a sinless death on the cross and just start offering grace to everyone? Because obviously this thing called holiness isn't working out. What I want us to see today particularly, but in the next two weeks, is it is precisely the grace of God when taught right and when leveraged right, it is precisely the grace of God that per leads you to a life of holiness. It's not a compensation or a plan B because our attempts at holiness did not work. It is, if you will, it is the gateway, the only entrance point to living a holy life again. I grew up in a Pentecostal, charismatic background, and so it was fun. I loved my church. This is not me dogging on my church because here's what I've learned as I'm getting older. Every church, every denomination, every different expression of Christ has so much beauty in it, every, every expression, but it also has so much brokenness in it, right? You know why? Because humans are running it. And that's what we are. We're this, this, this odd mix of beauty and brokenness. And so in, in my denomination, I don't know about yours, but I grew up as a kid in the 70s and in the 80s, there was this thing called a holiness movement going on, right? And it was this, it was this movement that was super attached to behavior modification. They wouldn't have said that because that's not gospel language. It was super emphasized on ethics. Now, behavior modification is a beautiful thing. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm all for it in its proper context when it's, when it's um, filtered through the gospel. Ethics are a complete fundamental and essential to human thriving. So I'm not knocking ethics. But when that becomes the end all be all to your gospel message, everything starts to go awry. I grew up in a church where we couldn't go uh, to movies. I couldn't go to a, a movie theater as a kid, right? Because there might be a cuss word on there. So here's, here's what I grew up in. We couldn't play cards as a kid because there were guys and, and girls in Vegas that were destroying their lives gambling on cards. So we, we weren't playing for money or anything. We just couldn't play cards because out in Vegas, they're destroying their lives playing cards. And we got to separate ourselves. So I grew up where I wasn't allowed to go to dances. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. I worked uh, at an 11th grade. I was an 11th grade Bible teacher at a Christian school and they had a slogan because they weren't allowed to dance there. They had a slogan that here at, here at such and such school, we're not allowed to have sex because it could lead to dancing. 
right? Like that's, that's the type of place I, I, I grew up in. And there was this passage of scripture. I believe it's first Peter chapter 16. We can go ahead and put it on the screens. And this was one of the most popular passages of scripture that a pastor would throw in at just the right moment when he needed to get a good response from the people in the, in the era of the holiness movement. I grew up in, he would quote Peter where it says, be holy. Peter's speaking here prophetically on behalf of God, be holy because I'm holy. Now that is a beautiful verse in its purest form. I, as I get older, love that statement more and more and more and am less afraid of it and intimidated more and more and more. But when I grew up as a kid, it wasn't that the pastor was quoting that and it wasn't the truth because it's the complete truth. We should be holy because God is holy. It was the tone that threw me off because the pastor would always use it with some type of fear attached to it to get a response, to garner a response. And people, again, we were Pentecostal, so it was a circus. People then after the service, because he said, be holy because your God is holy and we are not a holy people and we need to be holy. And everyone would say, yes, we do. And he'd say, come down to the altars. And my parents and everybody else would come to the altars for like 30 minutes and they're just crying and they're broken. And listen, there's nothing wrong with making an altar and being broken and crying before the Lord. That can be beautiful, but not when it's birthed out of fear. If I read the Apostle John right, he says, perfect love, which is what we saw in Christ Jesus, perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with torment or punishment. And, and so I would hear that tone. And so what I ended up doing that I don't want my kids to also have to do, I ended up knowing I was an analytical kid. And so thank you, by the way, for letting me share some of my story with you, but it matters to, to where we're going here in the scriptures. I, I don't want my kids to have to go up doing what I did, which was I was so aware of how unholy as a kid I was, especially as I got into my teenage years. I was so aware of all the tendencies I had towards these things that my, my church and my youth pastors had told me, don't do, don't do, wrong, 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 which is not a bad thing for pastors to do, but when it's not attached to the gospel of grace, it ends up doing two things. The, the people who are behaving really well get cocky. We have a term for it in the Bible. It's called self-righteous. And nothing is more antithetical to the gospel and the work of Jesus than self-righteousness. And then on the other end, if you're like me and you're just, just a, a kid who likes to get in some trouble and has got a lot of fleshly things going on in his life, here's how I felt all the time. Condemned, which is equally antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The apostle Paul says in Romans eight, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because those who are in Christ Jesus, listen to this, have been set free from the law of sin and death. And so here's what I figured out. It's taken me 48 years and I probably have so much more to learn about this issue of holiness. But in the 48 years I've lived, here's what I've learned about that verse that I used to be scared to death of because of not what it said, but how the person preaching it said it. Be holy. That's what the pastor would do. He would pound the pulpit. Be holy because your God therefore is holy. And everyone's like, yes, and I suck. And let, you know, I'm going to go pray it away. And I'm going to try again this week until I come and cry again the next week at church. The Apostle Peter, our first pastor of the Christian church, he's a sage at the point he's writing this. He has been there and he has done that. He has failed. We, we get some of his failures biographically in the scriptures. 
He has failed on so many levels so many times. And we also get, biographically in the scriptures, so many amazing moments, like, like mountaintop godly moments where he preaches and like 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ in a day and they baptize him. Like he can't even fathom being able to do that as a preacher. He just does stuff like that. He has ran the gamut, man. He has been all over the spectrum of what it means to live this human experience. And I can't prove this, but I know in the depths of my heart with every ounce of conviction that when he was writing that, I hear him as a very calm, rested, secure, older, sage-like gentleman, and he is not pounding a pulpit saying, be holy because God is holy. He's He's an older gentleman now saying, guys, Hills Church, be holy. Yeah, why though? Because God's holy. The one we worship is holy. The one who we serve is holy. The one who has your best interest in mind is holy. Do you understand nobody has your best interest in mind more, more than the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? Nobody wants better for you than the Holy Spirit of God. So I am just convinced that, that tone matters here, not just truth. Tone matters. And the tone I bring to you in these next two weeks is we, we don't have to be We get to be holy. Do you know what holy really just is? It's, it's the essence of wholeness. That's why God is called holy. That's why we saying over and over and over, holy, holy is the Lord, is because there is zero things impure in our God. There is zero things broken about our God. There are nothing unclean about our God. And here's why this is a good thing instead of an intimidating thing, because what you think is, well, I'm so far from that. There are unclean things in me. There's still impurities in me, impurities in me. There's still sin in me. And I'm singing to this God that's sinless and pure and and I'm still broken and he's perfectly altogether holy. So, so, so what do we do with that gap is the question. And the answer is we continually come back to the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ because the motive of God in sending Jesus to make us holy and blameless and righteous again in our place. And let's go back. Weren't you guys in Ephesians for the last six weeks? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter two. This is some of the best news on planet earth. Uh, if If you're newer here and you don't have a faith, let me tell you the truth about our faith. Our faith is based on one thing alone. It is based on grace. And you receive that grace according to Ephesians chapter two by faith. Putting your trust, you get to choose, putting your trust that, that the merit that you hang your hat on to spend an eternity after you die with God is one thing and one thing alone, and it is grace. Paul says we are justified by grace through faith, and then listen to this. This is good news. It'll let your heart rest today. It is not by works, good or bad. It is not by works so that no man can boast in anything other than the, the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel right there. And it is precisely that grace, the more you keep running to it, the more you confidently keep approaching God to come to that, that that grace starts to produce something called holiness. I got a few minutes left and I'm going to go to the word of God to show you what I'm talking about when I talk about grace and holiness, because they're like dance partners. This is a broken illustration and I, I can't, I have two left feet. I can't dance. But what I've been told is when, when two people are dancing any style, they, they have multiple responsibilities. The man I've been told leads the dance 
It's not because he's better. In fact, most men are not better dancers than women. Women, we give that one to you. It's because someone has to lead or the dance gets gross, right? Someone has to lead or the dance is, is not beautiful and elegant at all. So the man leads, he keeps time, he keeps step. Now the woman's job is, is to do the fun work. She gets to make the dance look beautiful, right? Like she gets to come in and bring the elegance and all of the poise and all of the grace and movement and beauty. And his job is to set her up to make that thing look beautiful by leading in the way they got to go. This to me is like holiness and grace. The holiness of God is what gives us direction. It's what gives us motivation. It's what tells us where to go and where not to go. It tells us which way to step and which way not to step. It's what keeps time in the human experience is the holiness of God. But it is the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ that makes this life bearable, not only bearable, but it's what makes the dance beautiful. It's the grace of God that frees us up to continually come back into step with the holiness of God. Nothing on earth is more important than the holiness of God. The, listen to me, Hills Church, please. The chief characteristic of the God we serve is not grace. It's holiness. You understand that? Grace is this beautiful means to a much greater end. If you think grace is amazing, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, it's just something that's trying to get you back into something even more amazing. Holiness. This is why I want to make holiness great again. This is why I want us to not be intimidated like I was as a kid or to be in fear. This is why I want us to so tap into the grace and mercy of Jesus that eventually the refrain as you grow older, the refrain of your heart becomes more and more holy, holy. And the tone changes. It's not scary and intimidating. It's like the apostle Peter in his old age going, why wouldn't I want to be holy? The person who loves me most, the person who sent his one and only son to die for me in my place, to bring me back to a place of wholeness. He's for me. And the pathway is, is grace. Don't take my word for it. Let's read Hebrews chapter four. We'll start there and we'll build, build from there. How much time? Now? Okay, Chad, talk fast. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. This is one of my favorite paragraphs in all of Scripture. This has a paragraph that has literally saved my life. This paragraph has literally defined and refined my relationship with Jesus. It says this, Therefore, Hills Church, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And here's where it gets super sweet to me. Listen to this. For we, Hills Church, do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, we do not have a high priest, isn't this good news, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Let me, let me put in a, a different word there for weaknesses. Lack of holiness. Brokenness. Temptations and inclinations towards particular sin patterns we all struggle with. We have a high priest who is perfectly holy, yet empathizes with our weaknesses. Why? We have one who's been tempted in every way that we are. In other words, he knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be tempted to walk in brokenness instead of beauty. He knows what it's like to want to give in to sin like I did as a kid versus embrace and run to the holiness of God. Yet he was without sin. And that sounds like, well, see, there's the separation. There's where he's holy and I'm not. There's where it was so fun when it said he empathizes with us, but then it had to end by saying, yeah, but he never screwed up. 
But here's the beauty of him never screwing up. The motive, the reason he never screwed up was because he is the exact image of the invisible God. He is showing us what God originally intended for humans to be. It wasn't God that got in the way of our holiness or wholeness. It was sin. It was that pesky piece of fruit that we were so tempted to eat and the lies in the Garden of Eden. We'll go, we'll go to Genesis next week. Bring a friend. It's going to be fun. But it, it was precisely that, that that robbed us of the holiness of God. God. Jesus comes and is perfectly holy. Not to say, look at me, I'm so much better than you. It was to say, look at what I'm restoring back to you. Let's go back to the Ephesians series. Remember in Ephesians 1, uh, and, I, and I'm sure Pastor Jonathan, I didn't hear that sermon, but I'm sure he talked about this. In Ephesians chapter 1, all Paul does is tell them who they are in Christ. He doesn't say a word about ethics yet. He doesn't say a word about behaviors yet. Why? Because he knows it's not by works lest any man should boast that we're saved. It's, it's through who we are because of what Jesus did. So he tells them who they are because of what Jesus did. And he calls them saints. And I'm sure a bunch of them weren't acting like saints when he wrote that. But it's not predicated upon them. You know what he calls them next though? Holy and blameless. God's original intent for all of us. And I know because practically none of us are close to holy and blameless, it's so hard to fathom that that was God's original design for us. But I'm just going to tell you the truth. In the Garden of Eden, that was God's desire for humanity, was to be perfectly holy, perfectly blameless, live in beautiful community, and steward an earth together for fun. And guess what? The message of Jesus and the new covenant is God wants to bring that back. And he does it perfectly in Christ. And here's what's so hard for people to understand about our faith and our gospel is he calls us holy and blameless because of Jesus before we can practically be holy and blameless like Jesus. He starts at the finish line, right? This is the gospel. God starts it finished. It is finished. The work is done. So while practically none of us in here are holy and blameless, positionally, if you've received the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ by faith, that is exactly who you are right now. This is why we get to do what? Hebrews 4 goes on to say, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? I'm going I'm to ask for some feedback here because I don't want, with what? Confidence. Do you hear that? The th God's throne is titled grace. And he says, you now, because of Jesus, your high priest, you get to approach me with confidence. He doesn't put any stipulations on it. As long as you're super duper, uber holy every day. No, you approach his throne. It wouldn't be called a grace, a throne of grace, if you had to be awesome to approach it. Right? It'd be called a throne of merit. It's a throne of grace to what? receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is a holy God sending his perfectly holy son to, to pave a way for there to be no breaches anymore between us and God. For God to say in Christ Jesus, I am, yes, altogether holy. I am altogether pure. I am the essence of wholeness. But you also need to know this, God says, I am completely 100% approachable. And that way was made through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the throne is titled grace. But now I want us to see what the refrain of the throne is. So we'll go to Isaiah 6. How many more minutes? Talk fast. Here we go. Work with me, people. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, if you're new to church, 
This is one of the ancient prophets of Israel named Isaiah. And he's writing about this mystical experience he had, whether it was a, a vision, whether he was really caught up to heaven, he doesn't tell us. But he says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, like physically, literally saw him. And he was high and he was exalted. And he was seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then above him were seraphim. If you're new to church, that's just an ancient Hebrew term for angels. They were circling the throne of God. It said each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Now, this is so important. You understand this. And they were calling to one another as they're flying around the throne of God, saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let's just do a proximity check right here, a proximity test, right? This will tell us a lot. Nobody, according to the scriptures, is in closer physical, tangible proximity than these seraphim. And what's the only thing 24 hours a day that, that organically starts to come out of them as they begin to speak and sing or whatever it was they were doing? What's the one thing that they just have to say in the tangible presence of God? Holy. 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 Notice they don't circle the throne 24 hours a day and say, grace, grace, grace is, is the Lord God Almighty. They don't go, mercy, mercy. Mercy is the Lord God Almighty. And listen to me. I preach grace and mercy more than any, anything I preach. And I will do it till the day I die, God willing. But what I have to let people know to properly teach grace and mercy right so that we leverage it right is that it is just a means to something so much more beautiful. If you think grace is amazing, come on. We got to see that it's just trying to push us towards holiness. You understand that? Because that is the chief characteristic of who God is. He's perfectly whole and he originally intended that for you. And we just get to spend the rest of these days trying to get back there with the grace of God. And it will only be the Hebrews 4 approach that will work for you. You can try all other kinds of ways to become whole as a human being. But at the end of the day, the spoils of the kingdom of God go to the man and the woman that are just for the rest of their life committed on good days. I'm going to the throne of grace to praise God for the good days. And on horrifically bad days, I am going to the throne of grace of God to receive mercy with confidence in my time of need. And the ultimate outcome and fruit of you just being a people who go back and back to the grace and mercy of God is eventually when you go to the throne of grace, the refrain of your heart becomes just like the seraphims. Holy, holy, holy. All of a sudden, holiness and healing, less brokenness, more wholeness, all of a sudden that starts to be an organic part of your story. And it has nothing to do with anything other than I just kept running to the grace of Jesus. And over time, that grace was so kind and so amazing to me that it started to make this thing, holiness, attractive and beautiful. And it started to make it great in my life again. And when holiness is there, health is there. And when health is there, true prosperity for human beings is there. Listen to what Titus 2 says. We'll finish real quick with Isaiah 6. But listen, let me break it up with Titus 2. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
Listen to what grace does when I'm trying to tell you that grace is a means to a greater end. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. It goes on to say, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to do what? Punish us? No. To, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own and eager to do what is good. I don't know about you, but I want to get to a place before I breathe my last and keep becoming an older gentleman. I want to get to the place where I don't just do good out of conviction. I'm eager to do good. And I've just learned you don't get there through just trying real hard. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. You get there by just being so absorbed and wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace and mercy that can only come from innocent divine shed blood on the cross. That's it. And can I tell you, because I just wanted to change the tone from how I grew up as a kid on this holiness issue. So maybe some of you, even younger people here, maybe even some of you older people who are just kind of starting this faith journey or thinking about it, you can think about, but the tone from the apostle Peter going back to that is be holy guys. There's nothing better. Be holy because God's holy. He's for you. Let me prove it by just continuing to read Isaiah. This is so important. Here's what happens next after Isaiah sees this incredible moment, this vision of God in heaven. Angels screaming, holy, smoke filling the temple. It's what it says. It says, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke, right? It's a pretty intense situation, the holiness of God, it seems so. And his only response is what your and I response would be. I felt this response in personal times with the Lord when I've been in his, his presence. He says, woe to me. That's an ancient term that says, you might as well kill me, woe. Woe is when you wish death on someone or something. Isaiah's going, you might as well kill me right now, God, because I am in your holy presence and there is such a distinction between you and me that my heart can't handle it. Woe to me, he says. He cried, I'm ruined. I felt this way so many times growing up before I truly understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe to me, I'm ruined. There's so much distance between who God is and who this little kid Chad is. I'm ruined. You ever felt that way? That's what Isaiah is feeling. He's having a very authentic moment here. He says, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people also of unclean lips. And now my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's just like, kill me, God. But more than how Isaiah feels, this is so important you understand this, more than how Isaiah feels in that moment, more important is how God feels about Isaiah in that moment, right? I heard a lot of sermons talking about the holiness of God using Isaiah 6, and, and the pastors would leverage and love the moment where the doorpost flew open and smoke filled the room, and Isaiah dropped to the ground, and he cried, I am ruined, woe to me. They, they would leverage that to say, see how different we are between God and he is holy and we need to be holy or we're going to be a ruined people. And everyone would be like, yeah, we got to be more holy, so I'm going to pray about it and try harder again this week. But what, what often I don't remember hearing much about was God's response to Isaiah's brokenness. 
because it's the same response he has to your brokenness. God's no respecter of persons, the Bible says. He doesn't show favoritism. His response to Isaiah is the exact same response to us when we feel, oh, I'm so far from God. Oh, I, I'm so far from being who I know I want to be and am supposed to be. Look at God's instantaneous response to Isaiah's repentance and confession. Then one of the seraphim, those angels, flew to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God's only response to the distinction of Isaiah's lack of holiness and unclean lips to God's perfect holiness and perfectly clean lips. God's only response was, hey, angel, because the Bible says angels are our ministering spirits. They're just there to serve and minister us, right? He says, hey, angel, go get one of the coals because fire in the kingdom of God is always to rehabilitate, never destroy. It's always to purify, not destroy. He says, go get, go get that coal on the altar, go get the tongs, and you go touch his lips with it, and it says he's healed. His guilt's taken away. He was atoned for. You, you catch that? Like, this is the heart of God. Hills Church right there. He doesn't go, I told you you're manning on clean lips. It's a good thing you finally got in my presence so you could actually see just the difference between you and me. It's about time you uh, ship up or shape out, sir. About time you get your mess cleaned up, right? You better stop acting like this now that you've had a holy visitation from me and you've seen how holy I am and how unholy you are, Isaiah. He doesn't say a word about that. He doesn't punish him. He doesn't come and berate him. He doesn't come and shame him. He just says, go get the coals. Isaiah just confessed. And here's what God's in the business of doing. When we walk in what I call holy self-awareness like Isaiah did, when we're unafraid to just admit the distinction between God and us right now, practically. It's, it, there's a word for it in the Bible. It's called repentance, right? Do you, do you know what leads to repentance? Not preachers pounding and going, be holy because God. You know what leads to repentance according to one of our first preachers? Who I'm going to take his word for it? The kindness of God. That's the book of Romans. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Why? Why is repentance such a kind and beautiful thing that the church should not be afraid of, but we should call each other to it often. Do you know why? Because repentance is holy self-awareness. And do you see God's heart when we show holy self-awareness? No punishment, just healing. Go, go take a coal and cleanse his lips. And then, and, and then it finally says, now that he was cleansed and healed in that moment, God says, hey, we need someone to go for us to all those unclean people you're talking about. We need someone to go prophesy for us. Who will go? And now that Isaiah sees the heart of God, he's so unafraid to be like, I'll go. He says, I'll go. Like, this is the beauty of holiness. It sends you into your purpose to fuller degrees. It sends you into whatever you're called to do. It, the greatest thing I can do if I'm going to spend the rest of my life being a preacher is try and be whole. Because it's the, it's the constant repenting and coming back to God and God healing my heart more and more and more where I'm going to get to walk and I'm going to get to go and I'm going to get to speak for God and I'm going to get to go and do what I've been created to do because I care about being a whole person and the only way to get there is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I have been redundant and said my point and the ultimate reason, I said this for all of us because I, I want us to again to make holiness great. I want us to be excited about it, not afraid of it. So hear my tone one more time. Hills Church. 
be holy because God's holy. Be holy because God's holy. And nobody has your better interest in mind than God. And, and here, here's what's even most important. Some of you in here have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith through grace. And can I just tell you that the whole message of Christ is just one big invitation. He's got a table that's bigger than the population of this world that he's setting. Like literally a table that will will have room left over at the end. It's bigger than, than anything. It's for every tribe. It's for every nation. It's for every culture. It's for every person that comes from any religious background. It's for every atheist on planet earth. God just wants you whole again. And there is, I say this with every ounce of faith I have and love, there is one way to true wholeness. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Listen to this, this is sobering but beautiful. Once you know who he is, he says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Paul would go on to write in the book of Romans, if you will, and if you don't know Jesus, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to know him today. If you don't know him, here, here's what you need to know. The book of Romans says, if you will call on the name of the Lord, like Isaiah did, oh, I'm ruined. You'll just find healing. It says, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Here's the real good news. You can't earn it. You don't have to earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not about merit. Our faith is not merit-based. It's cross-based. You just receive that finished work of Jesus and he calls you saint. He calls you holy. He calls you blameless. He calls you adopted into his family with every right of a child. He calls you sealed in the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Sins forgiven. Eternity with God, not just on this side of the grave, but on the other side of the grave. He wants that for everyone. And the beauty is because you're justified in Christ, you just get to spend the rest of your life now working to be a whole human being again. And I want that for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, as I wrap up, I just have to ask the most important question I came this week to ask. In fact, it's the most important question you will ever confront in this lifetime. I did it almost 30 years ago. And is by far the single best, most important decision of my life. If you're in here today and you say, I want to receive the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you will, the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart. You shall be saved. You can confess like Isaiah did, any area of brokenness, any area of sin, any area where you feel like you have fallen short. And in that confession, Jesus will heal you right now, instantaneously. So if that's you and you'd like to receive the saving work of Jesus, would you just raise your hand? This is between you and God, and I'm gonna keep my eyes open because I wanna be able to pray for you. Just keep it up if you had it up. Thank you, yes sir, yes sir, thank you. Keep them up in the backs, it takes me a minute. Thank you, hands, yes. Anybody else? I'm just gonna keep looking for a minute because I wanna make sure I see every hand, yes. Awesome, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for church today. We thank you that we have this place to come and to lift you up, but also a place to come and be so encouraged by you, God. 
God, I pray for every single person that just raised their hand in this service and also the people that raised them in the last service as a confession of faith. We just pray, Jesus, that you would in such a beautiful way begin to fill them as the Bible says, as you said, Jesus, with streams of living water, your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that today is the day of salvation. We thank you that people in this room right now crossed over from death to life. God, we thank you for all of us who are walking out of here and we are going to yet again get excited instead of afraid of the holiness of God. God, we put this service into your hands and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus and all my friends at Hills Church said, love and appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.